Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Saturday, March 18th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. Uh, you can find us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. It's definitely worth your while. A lot of great content. A lot of great content. Um, I've got four or five of them I listen to now. And believe me, there are so many more. And we've got somewhere around 50, maybe a little bit more. Um, so believe me, you'll run out of time to listen to all the ones you want to listen to. So definitely worth your while. So I also want to remind you of the final link in our show notes. That is the link to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage for the church building or for our, for our church building so that we commence, can commence establishment of a Christian classical education based school. Uh, we want to get that started to provide an alternative within our community. Um, a, a place we feel like we can trust for education for our children. So go ahead and click on the link. It'll give you a much more thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully, uh, prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along to someone else. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to get our reading done. we got a good bit of reading to do today, so we want to go ahead and get that done. And then this evening, like I had indicated, we're going to get back into our Bible study in John chapter 6. So we're going to go ahead and open up this morning like we usually do on a Saturday morning with the seventh day morning prayer, God's good pleasure. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O oh God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee, the Almighty Instructor, teach us to live to thee, the Light Dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility. For vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right. Our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening 
for March 18th. The text is from Galatians 3.26. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The fatherhood of God is common to all his children. Ah, little faith, you have often said. Oh, that I had the courage of great heart, that I could wield his sword and be as valiant as he. But alas, I stumble at every straw, and a shadow makes me afraid. List thee, little faith. Great heart is God's child, and you are God's child too. And great heart is not one whit more God's child than you are. Peter and Paul, the highly, excuse me, the highly favored apostles, were of the family of the Most High, and so are you also. The weak Christian is as much a child of God as the strong one. This covenant stands secure. Though earth's old pillars bow, the strong, the feeble, and the weak are one in Jesus now. All the names are in the same family register. One may have more grace than another, but God, our Heavenly Father, has the same tender heart towards all. One way may do more mighty works and may bring more, more glory sorry, to his Father, but he whose name is the least in the kingdom of heaven is as much the child of God as he who stands among the king's mighty men. Let this cheer and comfort us when we draw near to God and say, Our Father. Yet while we are comforted by knowing this, let us not rest contented with weak faith, but ask, like the, the apostles, to have it increased. However feeble our faith may be, if it be real faith in Christ, we shall reach heaven at last. But we shall not honor our master much on our pilgrimage, neither shall we abound in joy and peace. If then you would live to Christ's glory and be happy in his service, seek to be filled with the spirit of adoption more and more completely, till perfect love shall cast out fear. All right, now our reading. So we're going to start in Numbers 26, then go into Numbers 28. Um, and then we've got Luke 3, first, first 22 verses of that, Psalm 61, and then Proverbs 11. We have a few verses. So Numbers 26, we're starting at verse 52. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, I'm sorry, hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, among these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. To the larger number you shall increase their inheritance, and to the smaller group you shall diminish their inheritance. Each shall be given their inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall receive their inheritance according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the selection by lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller group. I thought I paused it. And these are those who num who are who were numbered of the Levites according to their families, of Gershon the family of the Gershonites, of Kohath the family of the Kohathites, of Merari the family of the Merarites. These are the families of Levi, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korahites. Kohath became the father of Amram, and the name of Amram's wife was Joshebed the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. 
And she bore to Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and their sister Miriam. And to Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before Yahweh. And those who were numbered of them were twenty-three thousand, every male from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the sons of Israel, since no inheritance was given to them among the sons of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest, who numbered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For Yahweh had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And not a man was left of them except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Numbers 27. Then the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hever, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the family of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hagla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders, and all the congregation, at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. Yet he was not among the congregation of those who gathered themselves together against Yahweh and the congregation of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family, because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case near before Yahweh. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a possession for an inheritance among their father's brothers, and you shall have the inheritance of their father pass on to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall have his inheritance pass on to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall have his inheritance, shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his blood relative in his own family. And he shall possess it, and it shall be a statutory judgment to the sons of Israel, just as Yahweh commanded Moses. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go up to, the, to this mountain of Abarim, and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. So when you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, during during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy, my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Then Moses spoke to Yahweh, saying, May Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of Yahweh will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So Yahweh said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is a spirit, and lay, is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. And you shall put some of your splendor on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before Yahweh. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So Moses did just as Yahweh commanded him, and he took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moses. 
All right, Numbers 28, reading through to verse 15. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be careful to bring near my offering, my food for my offering by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall bring near to Yahweh. Two male lambs, one year old, without blemish as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to Yahweh. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, as the grain offering of the morning of the morning, and, its, and as its drink offering. You shall offer it, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old, without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. Then at the beginning of each of your months you shall bring near a burnt offering to Yahweh, two bulls from the herd and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, without blemish, and the three t and three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, for each bull and two tenths of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for the one ram, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each lamb, for a burnt offering of a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. And their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, and a third of a hen for the ram, and a fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month, throughout the months of the year. And one male goat for a sin offering to Yahweh. It shall be offered with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. All right. Now Luke 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 22. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will be straight, and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. But indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what should we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And soldiers were also questioning him, saying, What should we also do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or extort anyone, and be content with your wages. 
Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were reasoning in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered, saying to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he proclaimed the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reproved by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now it happened that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. All right, Psalm 61. For the choir director, on a stringed instrument of David. Hear my cry of lamentation, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength before the enemy. Let me sojourn in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will add days to the king's life. His years will be from generation to generation. He will sit enthroned before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may guard him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, as I pay my vows day by day. Finally, Proverbs 11, verses 16 and 17. A gracious woman holds fast to glory, but ruthless men hold fast to riches. The man of loving kindness deals bountifully with his soul, but the cruel man brings trouble on his flesh. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I, I hope it's been beneficial to you. I hope it's... Um, helped you out. I hope this time in the scripture is assistive. Um, I, I, of course I would continue, continue to encourage you do your own reading, do your own reading, find a, read the Bible in a year plan and execute it. Um, it's definitely worthwhile. I've now been doing that for seven or eight years, probably more like seven, seven years now. Um, and I actually do it a couple of times a year and I'm not saying that. So you'll pat me on the back. It's not that but what I'm saying, somebody actually asked me that relatively recently said, does that really make a difference to you? It does. It actually does. One, I remember stuff more, but two, it, 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 the, and the most important is that it, it, it helps keep my mind and my heart on a more godly focus, on a more biblical focus, a more scriptural focus, more heavenly, a more spiritual focus. It does. It does, because it keeps that more, it keeps me more saturated in that than other things of this world. And it can tend to help to hold off the garbage of this world. So it's definitely worth your while. So I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you spend this time with me in the morning. But please, please, please be doing reading on your own and be doing study on your own, not just reading through. Do that, too because I do that too, but then be studying your way through a book. Grab, grab one of the books of the Bible and be studying your way through it. Go through all the footnotes, go through all the cross references, get yourself a good study Bible. If you're interested, I can suggest the MacArthur study Bible is a great way to start. Uh, the Reformation study Bible is another one from Ligonier is a great way to start. Um, those are great study Bibles. There are others out there that are very good as well. Um, but do that and study your way through 
a book of the Bible. We need to do that. We as Christians, and it's not just that we need to, we are commanded to. We are commanded to. It is a part of what our walk should look like. So I would implore you to do so. All right. Well, I hope you go out and you have yourself a wonderful Saturday. I'm, I'm going to be blessed. Our men's group is getting together, have a barbecue. And I've got a friend in from out of town that I'm going to be taking with me. And I look so forward to him. We grew up together. Um, we went to college together. Um, but I haven't seen him in a number of years. And looking forward to that and having him with our men's group. Um, definitely pray that that time, I pray that that time is blessed and I, but I hope you have yourself a wonderful weekend too. I hope you're squaring yourself away. Sunday's coming. So you're squaring yourself away to get to worship service. And as Dr. Stephen Lawson says, if you got to drive to it, get in the car and drive, but do it and get into a solid church. If you can do that to a football game, if you can do that for a race, if you can do that for any of these other things, you can do it to go to church because your eternal life is more important than the rest of those. All right. So again, I hope you have a great day. I would implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you this evening. We're going to go ahead and close out with prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called the servant in battle. Let's pray. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head. And I contend with a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has all has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight, O thou whose every promise is balm, Every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife, and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with the light that comes out from a creature, and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a draught of the eternal fountain that lieth in thy immutable everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might. Amen. All right, again, you go have a great day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Saturday, March 18th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. I would continue to uh, implore you to go over there and go looking. Uh, there's a lot of great listening over there, more than you're going to have time to listen to, but it's definitely worth your while. Broad, broad, broad range of topics. Definitely, definitely good listening for you. Um, good godly listening for you. So I would definitely encourage you to do so. Um, again, so we've, we've wrapped up our, um, Thomas Watson's, the godly man's picture. I, again, I hope that, uh, excuse me, sorry, got a little dry. 
Um, I would pray that, that our time in Thomas Watson's book was, was good for you. Um, that it, that it, um, provided some insight for you. Um, Thomas Watson is a wonderful writer and I loved the book. I loved being able to read it with you. Um, like I said, within a month or so, I'm probably going to go back and read back through it myself. Um, because there's some things I wanted to dig into in it. Um, and I would encourage you to get a copy. It is not expensive. Um, it is definitely something you're going to want to read and probably read more than once because it is guidance for the godly person, for we that are supposed to be godly. We are called by Christ. We are called to be godly. And it is, it is guidance for us as to who and how we should be. If we are truly godly, if we were, we are truly walking the worthy walk as Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter four through chapter six, that worthy walk, that walk that, that shows us as imitators of God. It was a, it, it is great, great, great work by Thomas Watson and, and completely saturated with biblical evidence and biblical backing for what he was saying. So definitely worth your while. Um, but we finished it. So we're going to be getting back into our Bible study. We're going to be jumping right back in where we left off in John chapter six. We're going to be starting in verse 41 today. Uh, we're going back into the, um, the bread of life discourse by Jesus that Jesus did after he had fed the 5,000. So let's go ahead and open up. We're going to open up like we do every Saturday evening with the Lord's day Eve prayer. So let's pray. God of the passing hour, another week has gone and I have been preserved in my going out and my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest. That in all successes one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared? While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right, in the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is from John fifteen nine, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father loves the Son, in the same manner Jesus loves his people. What is that divine method? He loved him without beginning. And thus Jesus loves his members. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You can trace the beginning of human affection. You can easily find the beginning of your love to Christ. But his love to us is a stream whose source is hidden in eternity. God the Father loves Jesus without any change. Christian, take this for your comfort, that there is no change in Jesus Christ's love to those who rest in him. Yesterday you were on Tabor's top, and you said, He loves me. Today you are in the valley of humiliation, but he loves you still the same. On the hill Mizar and among the Hermans you heard his voice, which spake so sweetly with the turtle notes of love, and now on the sea, or even in the sea, when all his waves and billows go over you, his heart is faithful to his ancient choice. 
The Father loves the Son without any end, and thus does the Son love his people. Saint, thou needest not fear the loosing of the silver cord, for his love for thee will never cease. Rest confident that even down to the grave grave Christ will go with you, and that up again from it he will be your guide to the celestial hills. Moreover, the Father loves the Son without any measure, and the same immeasurable love the Son bestows upon his chosen ones, the whole earth, sorry, the whole earth of Christ is dedicated to his people. He loved us and gave himself for us. His is a love with which passeth knowledge. Ah, we have indeed an immutable Savior, a precious Savior, one who loves without measure, without change, without beginning and without end, even as the Father loves him. There is much food here for those who know how to digest it. May the Holy Ghost lead us into its marrow and fatness. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to jump right back into our Bible study. We're going to be doing... Oh, I need to back up just a little bit here on my uh, scripture. So we are going to be continuing on um, from John 6. We're going to start in verse 41. We're continuing on in this um, Jesus being the true bread from heaven. We've, we've, um, We've dealt with the contrast we've dealt with the confusion and now we're going to deal with the complaint today but let's go ahead and get our reading in first so i'm going to read you john 6 30 through 50 and this is kind of the beginning of this whole bread of life conversation so they said to him um, and this is the this is the fickle crowd so they said to him what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you what work do you perform Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all be taught of God by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So, you know, our whole context here is, you know, Jesus had fed the 5,000. The crowd, 
freaked out and you know they were they were going to try to make him king because oh boy free lunch and um he sent the disciples away so they wouldn't get caught up in it as we've talked about before and he dismissed the crowd and he retreated for some private time and as the disciples head off across the sea of galilee we see them rowing dead on into a sudden and very rough storm we talked about that how rough those storms can storms can be and they're making almost no headway towards their destination and then Jesus comes walking across the water. He comes towards them out of the storm. He scares them to death. So they're terrified as we would have been. But then he calms them. He indicates to them, I am who I am. And they accepted him into the boat. And per Matthew 14, they worshiped him, which was the proper response. But then we see the crowd the next morning. They go looking for Jesus. So, th so that was the response of true disciples. And then we saw the response of the false disciples. That crowd went looking for him the next morning. They wanted another free meal. I mean, they weren't looking to be taught. I, I, maybe I, maybe that was some, but uh, they, they, they were looking for another free meal. I mean, they were already showing themselves. He was already showing that he knew their heart. And we've talked about that. This was basically the Galilean version of the ones in Judea that he wouldn't trust at the end of John 2. So they go looking for him. Instead of worshiping in light of the miracle they had already seen, they went looking for him for another free meal. And so they finally follow him over there, follow him over to Capernaum, where they've gone, where he and the disciples of God, the apostles have gone. They get over there and they're just like, hey, how'd you get here? Well, obviously he's already created, an, done another miracle. He walked on water. They, it was clear in our text. There were no other boats. He got over there and he didn't take a boat and he didn't walk around the shore. So he obviously created, or did another miracle, but he doesn't, he doesn't even mention it to him. He doesn't even respond back, but he makes clear to them that they need to just believe. He makes clear to them that they should, shouldn't be seeking for the worldly things. He makes clear that he knows they're coming after food. They're, they're following because they're coming after more free food, more free material items not to believe. And he makes clear that they, they're looking for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life is what they should be searching for, which is Christ himself. Thus, we're coming into this, the bread of life. He's the bread of life. And he makes clear to them, they need to just believe. But then we saw the contrast as we headed into the verses that lead into what we're doing today. We saw the contrast that the crowd was asking for asking for more free food and, and then trying to say what they thought they had received through Moses. They had received from Moses, the bread from heaven. Well, no, they didn't. He talked to God about it and God gave them the bread from heaven, but it was mortal bread. It, it, it was material bread. It was bread to feel the feed, the physical body, but they're acting like it's some great, great, um, spiritual miracle. And it's not. And Jesus is trying to tell them that what God is providing them now in him is the true bread. That's where we're getting into this, the true bread from heaven, which is Christ. And then we saw the confusion. These people are so focused still, like I've been hammering down, still focused on the material. And don't get me wrong. It's easy for you and I to look back at them and go, what is wrong with these people? But honestly, you and I'd be standing right there in the middle of them. We really would be. I, it's it's really easy for us to look back and go, oh, I just wouldn't have done that. You know, you look back at Adam and go, oh, I wouldn't have create, committed that first sin. Shoot, I'd have done more than that. I, I, and I don't say it to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just, 
we need to be real about ourselves. You, you and I, outside of the grace of God, are so radically depraved, so, so saturated in our depravity that we'd have done the same thing, at least. So don't look back on these folks like you and I are better than them because that ain't, that ain't the case. But they're looking, still focusing on the bread to feed their bellies. And we do the same kind of thing. We still look for the material. We're, we're looking for these other things. Like, like we saw um, in, one, in one case, he turns around and, and, and asks, asks, asks the guy um, at the pool of Bethesda. Sorry, I couldn't. it, it took a minute to, for it to come. He asked him about wanting to be healed. And the guy could only think about, well, I haven't been able to get myself in there. Instead of, here's a man asking me about this and... Honestly, he probably knew who it was to go. No, sir. I, 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 yes, I would love to be healed and let Jesus do the miracle, which he ended up doing anyways. But you know, it, it's, it's, we get so caught up on the material, what we can and we can't do what we can and we can't get, or act like Jesus is a genie. The God is a genie. Well, they're not. So we got into the first of the I am statements there in verses 35 through 40, the I am the bread of life that he states. And they don't get it. Nor do they understand why they need the bread of life, even though Jesus clearly lays it out in verses 35 through 40. He makes very, very clear that he is the bread of life and that without him, we will hunger and thirst constantly that we don't believe and that we have to believe if we're to be brought to Christ and he is to lift us up on the last day, we have got to be, we've got to believe because he is here doing the will of God. And that's what he's making clear to them. So that's their confusion. So we've seen the contrast and the confusion. So today, and I know this has been a long lead in, but it's, we've been, you know, weeks out of this we're coming to the complaint. We're coming to the complaint. And this is the Jews. They're complaining and he responds to the complaint. So verse 41. So we're in verse 41 through verse 50. Verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Due to all that Jesus has said. So, so it actually leads in with therefore. And what do we always say about therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Well, basically, due to everything we've seen in verse 40 and back, due to all of that, that Jesus had said, the following verses in exchange occur. He again goes into that I'm the bread that came down from heaven. That's where he's going to go to. And when he's talking about the Jews, therefore, the Jews were grumbling. Again, like I said, this is the Jewish leadership here. And I want you to look at this one word. We're, we're not going to have a Greek class or anything, but the, gr the Greek word for grumbling it's goguzo um, that translates as grumbling here. And it means, and, and what I ran across was that it means and sounds like the muttered complaints and whispers. And it really does goguzo. It sounds like somebody grumbling, but that's what they're doing. They're grumbling. They're rawr, 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 rawr. So, and, and they're trying to do it under their breath, but he knows what they're saying. And as we see it, their issues twofold. They have a problem with Jesus indicating that he's the source of salvation, of eternal life. So at least they're finally starting to grasp that he's saying that. But they also have a problem with the case in verse 38. So verse 35, he said that I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Meaning that 
he is that source of salvation. But then in verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, I got a problem with that because he's indicating he came down out of heaven. Well, the only one that's going to come down out of heaven is the son of God. And they don't like that. They don't, they don't want to accept that. That's not where they want to go. So we move on into verse 32. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Now, we see here that the Jewish leaders were totally focused on the earthly, the worldly, like the crowd was. They say Jesus is a, as a, as a, they saw Jesus as a Galilean, which were not the best thought of in Israel in the first century. They were the, the, the Galileans were the rednecks of first century Israel. On top of that, they knew he was from Nazareth. If they knew who his parents were, so they knew who his parents were. And Nazareth was considered to be one of the pits of Galilee. Believe me, it was, it was considered one of the worst of Galilee. So the worst of Ragnectum in the first century Israel. That's where this guy came from. Now, the sad fact is, if they know that much about it, if they know that much about him, they would actually know that Joseph and Mary both were the line of David. That his parents were the line of David. And they would know that he was born in Bethlehem. So he's of, of the line of Judah, of the line of David, born in Bethlehem. They should have known that. They could have done the research. Actually, they might have known that, which would have backed up his claim of coming down out of heaven. That's clear indication that he's the son of God. But they're having such a great trouble grasping how, grasping how this person from the lowest of the low could be claiming to have come down from heaven, especially if he has an earthly mother and father. They're, again, they're caught up on the earthly. So these people, like the ones in Judea, hardened their hearts against the Messiah. And so we, can, can, we, we see the Messiah here begin to give his message in parables. As they, start to, as they start to harden their hearts. He goes, okay, I I'm not going to be clear anymore about this. He's not going to be clear and upfront. He's going to give him parables. And he actually indicates that to the, to the apostles as they move along. He tells them why he's doing it in parables. Um, but he's, he's doing so, so that these people will look and not see and listen and not hear. As Isaiah spoke of, Isaiah 6.10, Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. They're hardening their hearts. And Jesus is washing his hands of them. His response in verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, stop grumbling among yourselves. He was indicating that they needed to quit their resistance and hard-hearted nature towards him. That they needed to stop this. He was indicating that by this point he had done enough and that they had full evidence that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. He didn't owe them anything else. Fact is, he didn't owe them anything in the first place. We all deserve to die. We're not owed anything else. And we earn that, that debt to die every day. So he didn't owe them anything else. And he's making that very clear that, but he was making clear here. He's no longer going to respond to their grumblings, nor was he going to defend his position anymore to them as there was no worth in doing that. 
It was a waste of his time at that point. They had had all that they had. They had had the gospel. They knew that only through him they could have access to God. Only through Jesus Christ would they have access to God. Would they have access to self? Would they be saved? That's true then and that's true now. So verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus lays the hard truth down on them. He's making very clear. You will not, that, that they cannot come to him. And he's made clear. He is the only way to the father. They cannot come to him unless the father draws them, which gives the converse that if you're not coming to me, then the father's not drawing you to me. And therefore you're not coming. He's making clear. Therefore you will not be saved. But he's saying those that will, he will raise them up on the last day. None can come to Jesus for eternal life and salvation unless the father God who sent the Christ draws them to Jesus. He makes clear here that we fallen mortal sinful men can never on our own draw near to Christ for salvation. Only through the irresistible drawing of us by God to Christ can we come to him for salvation. Then Christ will raise them on the last day, raise them to glory, raise them to sit beside him. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Jesus quotes here Isaiah 54, 13. All your sons will be taught of Yahweh, and the peace of your sons will be great. Jesus is fed up with them. He is using the authority of Scripture to support this hard saying. The quote here speaks of being taught by God. This is not an external teaching or an external acquiring of knowledge. This is speaking of an internal enlightenment by the God, by God the Holy Spirit that we shall be taught by God that the Holy Spirit will replace our rock-hard hearts with a, with a flesh heart of flesh, that it, he will enlighten us, that he will bring to light the words of Christ, that he will bring to light the words of God so that we will truly understand them and thus be changed by them. And Jesus then goes on to indicate that those that have heard the Father and learned from him, who have been called, who have been drawn by God, will come to Jesus, will come to Christ. He's making clear that both um, a point and a counterpoint, that, um, that those that have truly heard and learned from the Father will come to Christ, basically making the point that if they're not coming to Christ, then they've not truly heard and learned from the Father. He is calling out the Jewish leadership there. He's calling out the Sanhedrin. He's calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees, making clear that they're not of God if they're not coming to him. He's throwing it down in their face. And he's not trying to be ugly. He's just being very, very clear. And I'm sorry, way too many people nowadays are all caught up in the nuance and being nice and being sweet um, and, and being gentle. Yes, we should be loving, but the truth is hard. The scripture's a sword. It's meant to divide. And if you can't take it, I'm sorry, but all I can do is bring you the truth. If you're on an express elevator ride to hell going down because you were so bound and determined to hang on to your sacred cows and your sins and everything else, 
all I can do is give you the truth. Jesus has given them the truth. He has hammered at them hard. Those that come to a saving faith in Christ are supernaturally drawn and taught by God, and they come through the truth of God's word. Making clear that those that aren't coming, God hasn't called. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus then makes clear that he's the only one who has seen the Father. He's making clear that no matter what else they say, he is the only one who has seen the Father. That he's the only one with access to the Father. Therefore, he is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to salvation. That only through him, through Jesus Christ, then they get can they get to the Father, to God. He's making very clear to the Jews, this leadership, that no matter what all they have done, no matter how much they have studied, no matter how much they have practiced religion, that they have not seen the Father, that Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father, and he is the only way to the Father. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Again, truly, truly, what did I tell you about that before? This is the truth of God, and you better hang on and grab hold of it. But he makes clear, the person who believes, who truly believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he is the only way to the Father, will have eternal life, will have, an, have saving faith. And that's what he's saying, that believes in him. That's, that's the implication he's making, that believes in him. And then again, he goes on to make cl the clear I am statement. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. He's stating clearly that he's the bread of life, that he is the only food for the soul that will bring eternal life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And he shows this contrast in the end. Verse 49 and 50, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die, meaning the bread of life. He's referring back to verse 48 there. So he makes clear that their ancestors, their fathers, had eaten manna from heaven but still died. Thus, while that was great for their physical survival, that was not the bread that brought them to, to be saved, to truly be God's children. Um, as, as we, in our reading this morning, we saw where John the Baptist, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, made very, very clear that don't sit there and talk about, you know, that you're okay because you're the children of Abraham, that God can make children of Abraham out of the rocks. Again, just because their fathers ate the manna did not make them, sorry, needed water, did not make them magically saved. That they had to repent of their sins. They had to come to Christ. That's what he's making very clear at, that they died. Thus, verse 50 Again, he is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. That he is the, he's making clear he is the son of God, that they have got to come to him, that he is the only way. And that's true across the board. That's true across the board. And these are tough sayings. These, these were tough then and these are tough now because you and I both know everybody and their brother out there wants to say they've got their own way to God. Well, as long as they get there, it doesn't matter how they get there. No, 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 no. God is very clear in his word. Jesus Christ is very clear in his word. The scriptures are very, very clear. 
Christ is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to God. He's the only one who has access to God. He's the only one that can act as the mediator between us and God and thus bring us to a saving faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. That is the only way. And Jesus lays it down for them. He makes very, very clear that they've got to come to him and that God's the one that will draw them. And if God is not drawing them, then they ain't coming. That God is not bringing them. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean, it, it, it may just mean at that time that he's not drawing them. But I think it's very, very clear, while there were an, were an awful lot of people that did to come to a saving faith in Christ that we see throughout the early history that first century in Judea. Um, we saw at Pentecost um, the thousands that came to a saving faith. Notice that other than a few, and maybe it's just because it's not recorded, but other than a few, Joseph of Arimathea, um, wow. Sorry, I just went blank. One of, one of the teachers, uh, the, the one in John 3, and I just blanked on his name. Sorry. Some, you'll remember it. You'll dig it up. Anyways, um, other than those few, that, that those two who buried Jesus put him in the tomb. Other than those few, the people we hear about that were converted were the average everyday people. It wasn't the leadership. Those who should have known the most looked like they were the ones left behind. Looked like they were the ones who never came to a saving faith in Christ. That no matter what Jesus said here, and that's who he's talking to here. The Jews were grumbling and he responded there to their grumbling. He didn't answer this about, well, isn't this, this guy from Nazareth? How the heck did he come down from heaven? He just told them to stop grumbling. And then he made very, very clear that if they did not come to him, that one, they weren't going to come to him unless the father drew them. But if they, if they didn't come to him, they were not going to get the bread of life. They were not going to have eternal life. They were not going to have a saving faith. They were not going to have salvation. Meaning they were damned to hell. That's all there is to it. Believe me, there, there's no magical blinking out and there's nothing. And there is no hell where there's a party out there. Anybody that tries to tell you that is a fool. And you're a fool if you believe it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be blunt because you need to understand this. Hell is ugly and brutal, and it's an eternity of it. You and I both are going to have eternity out there. Our faith determines where it's going to be. And that faith was a gift from God through Jesus Christ. And that's what Christ is laying out here. He is the bread of life, and we need it. We need it. It is critical to our salvation to our walk of sanctification and to our glorification. So these are not just passages we can blast through and ignore. We've got to know them and understand them. All right. Well, God willing, tomorrow evening, we will be coming back to, um, we, we're going to break into the next se section, starting in verse 51, and we'll be talking about appropriating the bread of life, appropriating that bread, as in, taking it in and it being a part of us, it, 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 it shaping us, it, it being, being part of how and what we do. 
So, like I said, God willing. Well, thank you again for spending time with us. I hope I hope you're you're happy. We're getting back into the Bible study for a little while. Well, we we will be going back and doing some other books down the road. Um, so any suggestions, if you go over to anchor, I think you can make comments on the podcast. So if you want to go over there and make suggestions of what books you'd like us to go through, I'm kind of leaning towards Puritan books. Um, those are some of the best for us. Um, but so, and, and no, I'm not going to be reading through any really outlandish stuff that that's not, that's not what this is about. This is about you and I trying to do our best to be imitators of God and imitators of Christ in our walk every day. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope to see you in the morning. Um, I hope you're squared away getting prepped to go to church either tonight or tomorrow um, or already have been tonight. Uh, Let's go ahead and close out with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called future blessing. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin, soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly, and gratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law, may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners, Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee, wait upon thee and keep thy way, be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet, live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside, while we worship thee. May we know the blessedness of men, whose strength is in thee, and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me. Have a great night. God bless.